This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. The Prime Minister is in our area and it looks a lot like electioneering to me. He just finished meeting with Mayor John Tory to talk about election priorities. And as you heard in Bob's news, Justin Trudeau slammed the Ford government for not moving on infrastructure projects like that community centre in Lawrence Heights. And yesterday he announced new legal aid funding to cover cuts by the province, moves that seem to confirm that the strategy so far is to run against Doug Ford rather than Andrew Scheer. And that is a good place to start for our Tuesday strategy panel. I would like to welcome a first-time panelist, Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village, former city councillor and mayoral candidate. Thank you. Hi. It's great to be here. There we go. The first time bell. And she is here along with Kim Wright, principal of Kim Wright Strategies, Charles Bird, managing principal of the Toronto office of Ernst Cliff Strategy, and John Capobianco, senior vice president and senior partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road. Hi, everybody. Hello. Hello. Hi. Okay. So where should we start? Uh, John, you are the lone conservative here. So uh, what do you make of that? Is that the strategy and is it going to work for them? I think it's his only strategy, quite frankly. Um, You know, he he has been trying to, um, you know, uh, belittle and uh, and try to uh, undercut Andrew Scheer uh, over the last little while, but it hasn't been uh, hasn't been uh, successful. So he has to go after Ford uh, as his only strategy to try to uh, to try to get to uh, the Conservatives. But as the Premier has said, he's staying out of federal politics. Andrew Scheer is going to be focusing on his issues, uh, and uh, and that's how the uh, the campaign is going to go. But on this issue, um, you know, there's been a lot of talk uh, about guns and gun violence and trying to resolve those issues, um, and the Premier has actually now put money. Uh, on the table uh, for this issue, and has and has been trying to, uh, you know, get the federal government to be tougher on the laws because some of the problem and most of the problems that we face are repeat offenders and those people that that get charged with gun violence and are violent get back on the streets in short order and they commit the crimes again. We need stronger sentences so those who repeat uh, have are repeat offenders on gun offenses are staying in prison uh, and not uh, committing more crimes. Kim, uh, back to the uh, strategy of fighting Doug Ford. What do you think of it? Yeah, at, at, at this point, it is his best hope, uh, especially in Ontario, where the premier is not popular, uh, which is always surprising for a populist premier not to be as popular this uh, short into his mandate. But there are some... You know, uh, you know, practical measures where some of the funding around legal aid. Yes, it was important that the the province decided to cut legal aid. Uh, although they did, they, there is a point to be made about the amount of uh, refugee settlement and settlement claims and, and that are part of what is causing a an increase in legal aid funding. Uh, there is a lot of problems between the feds and the province uh, around this issue and around who is actually responsible for it. And this goes back for generations. 
regulations that the federal government not paying, frankly, their fair share uh, to to Ontario, but and, also and, to Toronto around the around this, and that's and that's a problem. Uh, and all and by this, the way, not paying as much of a percentage as they pay in other provinces. Absolutely. And this whole rebalancing of confederation and and transfer payments and what actually is the responsibility of which order of government is, is certainly coming home to roost over and over and over again on whether it's on legal aid, whether it's on settlement, whether it's on housing. And let's be honest, part of the challenges that we have around the guns and gangs issues is a lack of affordability in housing uh, and communities. And that is partially the responsibility that it, responsibility that's been abdicated by the federal government for years. Karen? Well, you know, I think it is a short-term strategy to run an election campaign at a federal level against a premier of one province. That, uh, you know, I think that Trudeau certainly has a lot of um, initiatives that he could speak to and speak about and speak for. And I, I think it is short-sighted. I think it's really short-sighted because the rest of the country is going to be looking for answers around these issues, such as what's happening out West, what's happening in BC, what's happening in Alberta. They're really serious issues for this entire country. And to focus on Doug Ford, a provincial premier in Ontario, I, I think is a mistake. Uh-huh. Okay. And now defending the Liberals, Charles Byrd. Well, I think it's terrific that three levels of government, the city of Toronto, the province, and the federal government have come to an agreement, a meaningful agreement around additional funding to combat gun violence in our communities, which is obviously a a top-of-mind issue for a great many Torontonians, has taken on added resonance given recent events in the United States, tragic as they have been. And um, I think it's entirely appropriate that the Prime Minister should be drawing attention to the potential of this kind of collaboration between various levels of government. It's unfortunate that the Premier has not seen fit to open up the funding envelope over the last 14 months, as the Prime Minister has indicated. And that may be for political reasons of, uh, of, of, his, of his own thinking. I'm not sure, but um, clearly more collaboration is needed, not less. It also may be a, a, a not knowing. It is a new government, and these are pe- are, uh, there are a lot of people in that new government that didn't know a lot of things about how governing functioned. So they may not have known that they might have had access to some of those funding envelopes to begin with. But regardless, there needs to be a much more collaborative approach. And frankly, even, even today, looking at a conversation that's being had around guns and gangs and everyone wants to take credit and do a photo op and here's some more money. We're not getting at some of these root causes of, of what's been happening, why gangs have been allowed to flourish in Toronto. Uh, and we're not seeing the premier, the prime minister and the mayor of Toronto getting together and sitting down and, and sorting these things out in a meaningful way. This is politics. People are tired of it, just like they're tired of it on every other funding mechanism that we've been talking about. Uh, but on the guns issue, they need to get on the same song sheet and get there fast because people are dying. Yeah, but on the infrastructure funding, I think there's only half a story there because the federal government doesn't fund anything 100%. Right. The federal yeah. government only funds something if the province is willing to fund it as well. Right. And I think the collective view of the province is that we have a significant debt we're trying to manage here. And so for the province to say, okay, well, we're going to open up and make application for federal funding commits then the province to the same amount of funding, yeah. which we're not actually in a position to do. And so I, I think it's, um, I mean, it's, and on the guns and gangs thing, the, the reality, the candid reality is if we knew what to do, we'd be doing it. But, uh, we, but we don't. You know, you make a very <laughs> yeah, we good don't. point. And, and here uh, I had a defense lawyer on yesterday and I was before right in there saying, yes, we've got to tighten up bail. Why are these people out on bail with gun offenses? And what he was saying was that 
It's simply not true that when they are out on bail, it's usually on house arrest. And it's, uh, he says the sureties are good because it, it involves a lot of money. And, and if they skip out on that bail, whoever is, is putting it up for them. Uh, John, do you agree with that? I, I don't. Um, you know, stats has always shown that, that those that, that are repeat offenders continue to repeat, to be repeat offenders. And I, but I think that it, there's also a sign. Um, that if, if the, the sentences are tougher on first time to get in there, then people will think twice about it. But I think if people know that they commit offense and that they can be back on the street within a day or two, uh, they don't take those kinds of crimes seriously. Um, and so I do think there's got to be something but, but, about that. But I do think there's got to be a holistic approach. I, I understand what Mayor Tory has talked about, which is, which is to say it's one thing to, to ensure that sentences are, are strong and that, you know, people that are repeat offenders, you know, get tougher sentences. But there's got to be some work to be done uh, sort of, you know, before people get into uh, trouble or get into uh, prisons um, and, and ensuring that there are, you know, uh, support groups and, and support systems out there for, for those before it happens, obviously, because you don't want to ever have to deal with it when it happens, uh, after it happens. But so I think, I think governments now are starting to be less pointing at each other saying, well, they're not doing it, and they're not doing it, and it's not my fault, and I can't do anything until they do something. And I think they're finally sitting down now uh, and, and trying to deal with this issue. I think they're all putting money. Money flows from the top down, right? It's got to be the feds, the provinces, the provinces, the city, uh, in order for this to work. And I think that I'm encouraged by the fact that all levels of government are talking about this. But, you know, look, guns have, gangs have been around, guns have been around for a long, long time, uh, and nobody's ever done anything with them. But I think there's got to be some level of of um, you know seriousness to be done, and I think that this might very well be the case, given what's happened in the U.S. and given the the, the crime spree that happened over the long weekend here in Toronto. Yeah, I mean, again, you know, to your point, Karen, I, I think that makes sense that nobody quite knows what, what to, to do. do, and and uh, you know, yes, there have to be supports, but that is no, but not that's, the only that's not solution. the only solution, and also, I mean. You know, when you say take a harder line on first offenders, now I'm not sure what offense we're talking about, but if you expect a group of marginalized teenagers or young men or women to be making smart choices when they're actually surrounded by bad influences, I think that that's not actually a reasonable position to take. And the reality is there's lots of things that are wrong in these communities. There's not economic advantage. There might be not educational support. There might be not good role models. So there's not one thing that's going to solve this issue. There's a lot of concerted effort that has to go into making a dent in a problem where these kids believe that they have a better future in a gang than they do in mainstream. Okay. And, uh, you know, the prime minister was questioned today by a number of people saying, okay, you've said that you may be announcing a handgun ban in the election. Why don't you do it now? What are you waiting for? Well, I think the Minister of Public Safety, the Honorable Ralph Goodale, has made it very clear that this is a very, very complicated issue with regards to legal gun holding, the nature of how guns get into the hands of criminals, the extent to which these guns are, in fact, registered and traceable by the police. I mean, the issue fundamentally is guns and the supply of guns and how the guns are getting into these communities and who's paying for them and who's getting paid and a great many things. And it is far from simple. And I think before the government moves or responds in a knee-jerk reaction, there really has to be a much greater understanding of not only what the fundamental issues are, but also what are the achievable objectives going forward. But wouldn't that put them into even more electoral jeopardy? I mean, the liberals. uh, This is a bit of, the gun issue is always a bit of gerrymandering, frankly. You know, there, 
taking away that we are not the U.S., the issues that are facing them in their gun situation is a lot around. They all have the right to uh, carry arms. They have the care and conceal uh, components. We don't have that in Canada. That's not how our system is structured. We have a handgun problem that is predominantly handguns coming from the U.S., and we're not prepared to address that. Everyone wants to talk about this at a political level, including Ralph Goodale, because he's afraid of it, especially getting reelected in his community, and that the long gun owners will make it an election issue. This is not about long guns. This is about handguns. This is about handguns getting into people's hands coming across the U.S. border. I think 80% of the guns that are used in violent crimes, and certainly in Toronto, come from the U.S., That's what we need to start addressing. I am certain that former Chief Bill Blair, who was tasked with looking at this issue, had some pretty interesting conversations with some of his colleagues around the cabinet table, most of which were probably shut down because of electoral politics. We've got to stop playing politics with this. Blaming this on electoral politics. I mean, Ralph Goodale has been elected eight consecutive times since 1993. And if you think he's doing this because his own backside is on the line and his riding of Regina, Wiscana is just insane. I don't think it's Ralph's. There is a a reality to that, though, Charles. You got to you got to admit that that, you know, would you say that it's all politics? Well, no, but you know that handguns and the gun registry has always been a very politically hot, hot issue, especially for, um, you know, conservatives. Uh, well, they've always been consistent on that issue, but certainly for liberals and those in rural ridings have always had an issue with respect to the gun, the gun registry because of what Kim just said. So there is some politics. And to say that it's not, I think, is a bit naive. No, but specifically, it was the long gun registry that got the liberals in such terrible trouble with rural Canadians in sure, the 1990s. But gun, the but handgun guns issue guns. Is, is specific to large urban centers for the most part. You're more, at, nowhere more so than Karen, Toronto. do you have a, a view on the oh, banning guns? Well, I, yeah, I mean, you can ban guns. I, so personally speaking, I don't understand why anybody needs a gun. I just don't understand it. Okay, I don't need to understand it. But banning handguns is not a bad thing to do. It's not going to help us because we're not the the guns that are being used are not legal anyway. So it's not like banning anything is going to help the situation. So and stemming the supply is going to help. But the reality is, if that's that at the point that someone wants to take a gun and take it and shoot it into a crowd, it's too late. It's too late. Like, we've already lost that person. I don't know what kind of logic is going on in their head that they think that that's okay to do. It's not okay to do. But banning handguns isn't going to help that. And so that's, I think, the the tail end of saying something, oh, we're going to do something over here, when the reality is the problem is much earlier on that we need to solve with the, with these kids and these gangs and these people that think it's okay to carry a gun. It's not. And what do you need a gun for? And Who needs a gun? Point. You know, if if their if their modeling behavior is that it's better for them to go into a gang, uh, go into this type of situation, if that is their line up the ladder, that's a whole societal issue we need to get at. And banning well, handguns doesn't help us get there. Well, and and I saw an interesting perspective from someone who obviously was, uh, I would say, very. Um, conservative or right wing saying that, you know, uh, those people who get out of jail, they are more afraid of getting shot by a rival gang than of going back to jail. So yeah, if they get out, um, so there, I mean, how do we fix that? Like, how do we how who feels who, who, who wants to be in jail as opposed to being out in their community because it's safer to be in jail? Like that's an indictment, I think, on all of us. 
Well, I didn't say they wanted to be in jail, but they wanted to carry a gun right. when, when they were out. John, do you uh, have a response to that? Well, uh, you know, I, I, I just think it, the crux of this is trying to just get to the gangs, right? And I think that you, what you've seen um, in the announcement with the, with the Premier Ford yesterday and putting in all of the, uh, the resources towards that and giving police um, more ability and more resources to ensure uh, that guns from the U.S. don't trickle up, don't, don't trickle up here to Canada. Because I think that's, that's right. I think 80, Kim was right. Eighty percent of the guns, handguns that are used in crimes here in Canada are from the U.S. And I think that we just need to ensure that the police have the resources to be able to stop that. And 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 I do. And I also think too. There's also, as I mentioned before, you know, there's programs and and uh, support services that we have to really put money to uh, and and address uh, before this issue, especially those, uh, you know, those that you see shooting in the U.S. based on racist uh, um, uh, premises or or whatever the whatever the situation is, is far different than what we see in Canada. The, the shootings that we saw, uh, that we see here far often, are based on gangs and, and based on, on that kind of stuff as opposed to, but we do have to address that and we have to address the mental issue um, uh, component as well and make sure that they have uh, resources ensure, to ensure that when we do recognize somebody that has that, that we give them the support that they need. Okay, uh, we have people lined up to have their say, so let's take a couple of calls. Clay and Ajax. Hi, Clay. Hi, how are you today? Fine, how are you? Good. I think, first off, anybody carrying a loaded, unlicensed gun should automatically be sentenced to five years in jail. That's one thing. I'd like to know why, Libby, about seven or eight months ago, they did away with the guns and gang squads. Like, I, I don't understand the logic in that. The other thing, banning guns. Guns don't kill people, people kill people. How many people have been stabbed in the last three months? Are they going to ban knives and then forks? And like, where, where is it going to end? I mean, how do we control this? <laughs> okay, Clay, we heard you. Let's go to Pat in Etobicoke. Hi, Pat. Hi, how are you today? Pat, are, do you have the radio on? I, do, I don't know. Oh, okay. Um, my voice is kind of crackly, but that's all. So anyway, um, I'm looking at what some of the Aboriginal communities have done. They've said, no more uh, governing by the white man's rules. We are going to govern our people this way. What they do is they ban all people, all teenagers from being outside after 10 o'clock at night. It's the responsibility of the parents. Right now, the parents say, well, you know, my hands are tied, so and so will just walk out and say the hell with it. So that's going back to the very, very basics. Another thing, shame. Publicly shame. These kids that are 14, 15, they know what they're doing. So why don't we address that issue and, and make them seen rather than hiding them? If you start them early enough, no little uh, 10-year-old, well, I guess mostly it's people that start off with little things and they got away with it, a little more, a little more. They get joining a, a group. Um, yeah. And the basic core. Okay. Pat, thanks for your call. Um, they don't find it shameful if they're into gangs. It's hard to shame them if they're not ashamed of this. 
Right. Well, well these are criminal enterprises. Yeah. I mean, if you well, think yeah. that these are being run by 14 or 15 year olds, uh, it's just not the case. I mean, they, they come in all sorts of shapes and sizes and there are there's a lot of money that's trading hands and it just goes to the intractability and the complexity of the problem more than anything else. And, you know, it's, it's interesting that the legalization of marijuana, I'm not sure in Canada, I'm not sure if anyone's had a look at how much of a dampening impact that's had on on gang membership and on gang activity. I mean, I would not be surprised if there was something of a direct correlation there, just given what a huge illegal market this was for so many years. Uh, I, From what I've seen, the uh, illegal trade in marijuana hasn't gone down a lot hopefully, because of legalization. Oh, That's gov- government's a lousy drug dealer, as it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> what knew? a surprise. <laughs> there are still people at street corners, I guess, selling drugs, are there? <laughs> yeah. There are people with, uh, with uh, streetscape shops selling drugs. Then they get a concrete barrier. But in terms of the shaming aspect, I mean, part of that is how the the folks in the hierarchy of the of the gangs actually maintain a hold on some of these kids they'll do one thing and then use that again these kids will be used it'll be used against them and it'll continue to escalate and escalate when they feel like they have no option and no hope i find that once we get you know if you can start to get into those communities and once you can start uh showcasing better lifestyle modelings better opportunities better options for them that uh, that helps them but really the the uh upper uh, parts of the hierarchy of the gang trade really are about how do you manipulate and hold on to those kids. Uh, Let's just uh, switch away from this a bit, even though obviously it's a tough, tough subject. So is Trudeau on the right track here in in Toronto in the GTA saying, I want to be Toronto's friend and Doug Ford is stopping me Is, is, I mean... Is that sustainable, do you think? Well, I think it's appropriate where there are lapses in funding, like on the infrastructure envelope. Um, it's, it's entirely appropriate for the Prime Minister to call out the Premier of Ontario in that regard. Politically speaking, I mean, there's an election happening on October 21st. It's weeks away. The 416, the 905 are absolutely critical. We've seen some recent positive movement for the Prime Minister and the Liberals in those areas. There's no way the Conservatives win the election unless they take a solid chunk of those ridings. So it's no surprise whatsoever that the Prime Minister would want to spend quality time in the GTA and would obviously want to draw attention to the issues that matter most to Torontonians and folks in Brampton and Mississauga and Oakville and Durham, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I expect we'll see a lot more of it, not less. In terms of the battle with Ford, um, you know, politically speaking, there's no doubt that uh, the Ford government has had a, a relatively tough first year, which happens to governments that come to power for the first time. It's no great surprise. But the timing of the federal election makes makes the premier something of a tempting target for the federal liberals, no doubt about that. Yeah, they do seem to be settling down a little bit. But Kim, I want to ask you, and oddly, you're the only woman not wearing orange today, and you're the (laughs) NDP person. Uh, But uh, the predictions are that the NDP is is heading to some kind of uh, disaster or near disaster, and that you would think that will help the liberals as opposed to the conservatives. Are, Are we writing 
Jagmeet Singh off too quickly or? I, I think you're writing everyone off too quickly. If you remember back four years ago, Tom Mulcair was on his way to 24 Sussex Drive and Justin Trudeau was a distant third and there were calls within his own party for him to go away so they could win the election. Elections and campaigns matter. And when you have a spotlight on uh, all, frankly, relatively new leaders uh, and, and a new ways of campaigning, it, it is going to be what will uh, shift the shift things. I mean, if you looked at where uh, Andrew Shear's polling numbers were just a couple of months ago, he was all but assured, but now his polling numbers are shifting around. Once we get into the spotlight of the campaign, then you can start thinking about whose obituaries are next, but I think it's a little early for that. Uh, but in terms of uh, in terms of using uh, Premier Ford, of course they're going to. Gosh, there's politicking going on. It's shocking. The Prime Minister needs a boogeyman and he needs it fast, and, and Doug Ford is the best thing that happens to him from a focus group standpoint as a boogeyman as a counterpoint because i can guarantee you around that around that war room the liberal party they don't want to be talking about snc jody wilson raybould jane philpott or any of the other things that have happened to them uh john uh again the 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 jugmeat sing factor that's something that will help the liberals right well, and it's to be determined i think uh there's no question that when the ndp do well certainly in certain writings um, you know, they, uh, the conservatives do well. I know in my, in my writing with Toby Lakeshore, um, you know, when the NDP, uh, federally and even provincially, quite frankly, get into the high teens, um, that's votes away from the liberals, uh, without a doubt. And the conservatives tend to do better and do well. Uh, and that's, that's even more pronounced in, in writings in the 905, uh, for sure. But, you know, I would say, and, and Kim's right, that, that campaigns do matter, and, and this campaign will matter. Um, I'm, I'm less worried about sort of the day-to-day polls, and I'm more uh, focused on trends. Um, and the trend that Jagmeet Singh has been on has not been positive, and I think that's the troubling uh, issue for them. And, and that is, you know, when he became leader, there was such high hopes, and, and that was dashed fairly quickly. Uh, and then there was this whole pause of two years before he became, uh, before he got elected, he got a seat in the House. And, and then when he did, there was, again, high expectations that he was going to be, you know, a different person and, and a stronger leader. And then that didn't materialize. So I think you're seeing uh, a trend. And then on the flip side, you see the Green Party winning seats and, and doing well, not only federally, but provincially across, seat, across the provinces. Seats. Okay, um, to be clear. <laughs> good good seat, clarification. Seat. They've, they've got two now, but they just won one. They just won one. They doubled Uh, their seat count. That's a pretty good good track record. Good statistics, um, John. But nonetheless, you know, but they're polling. But but again, Kim, to to the trend. The the trend is the Greens are doing better, and and the NDP have been doing progressively worse. Um, But uh, just uh, just quickly, Libby. But Andrew Scheer's trend is not looking that great. Well, he's been steady, you know, and and it's been steady based on on the focus on on Justin. Whenever whenever SNC Lavalin hits the newspapers in the front lines, Justin does bad and uh, badly and, and, and Shear does better. And I think that's going to be the case. And I think Andrew is going to have to kind of keep, keep up, you know, the, 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 his story and what he's about. And I think people will make a decision at some point. Um, but I think, you know, the, the, the challenge with, with the prime minister going after, uh, after the premier, uh, is that there's been a complete shift of premiers, um, since Justin Trudeau became prime minister. And a, a lot of them are now conservatives, uh, and or right leaning uh, premiers, and you know him going after Doug Ford is five, yeah. five or six other provinces are going to go after Justin Trudeau in a huge way 
especially when it comes to uh, to uh, um, issues of, of oil and trade and that kind of stuff. So that will be a huge factor and something to look at as well during the campaign. Okay. Karen? Yeah, just quickly. I think that um, it, it will be an interesting election because um, when I think about even the conversations I have at the water cooler, people aren't talking about liberal conservative NDP. Because quite frankly, at the federal level, none of the leaders are speaking to the issues that are mattering, ma- that matter to the people in the communities that are going to actually be asked to vote. So I think the trends are what they are, but this could be um, a surprising election in that people will might, they might take a risk and vote for Green, the Green Party. They might take a risk and vote for a party that... So in your community, they're talking about the Green Party. In my community, they're saying, you know, I would vote Green. I would vote Green because at least they're not, like, they're saying things that I can agree with, whereas the Liberals and the Conservatives are so polarized and the NDP, quite frankly, aren't present. So there is no one speaking to the issues that are mattering more and more to the people of the the general population. And can I ask about what demographic that is? It would be for sure my age and lower, because I think yeah. that my age and above, there's they're more entrenched in the traditional notion of the party politics. My age and younger, that whole scene is changing very quickly and yeah. turns party loyalty, who they're giving to, the issues that matter, how they vote. If and they vote, that's still if an they issue. Vote, if it, they vote, it's but, still the older people who yeah, vote. For sure. And so maybe I'm wrong, but I think that if, if not this election, next election, we're going to see some, some changing dynamics in the federal landscape. Well, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see because um, as I, I think I noted on a, on a previous program, Libby, um, there's no doubt Elizabeth May, I've known her for a long time, terrific person, very capable, obviously a real problem for uh, Mr. Singh. Uh, but the one thing the Green Party lacks that could be very telling is sort of in really meaningful infrastructure at the riding level. And that counts for a lot. And that's something that the, the Liberals and the Conservatives and, and to a slightly lesser extent, the New Democrats have in spades. And that actually matters enormously because in an election campaign, there are situations where people get elected because of the, the nature of the, the sweep that's underway and just the momentum that's built up, the wave elections that we saw in Quebec, for instance, in 2011 with the NDP. But unless you have some infrastructure on the ground, it's really, really difficult to, to capitalize and to turn that into the kind of number of seats that would come to the dozens, for instance. And, and you know, uh, the Green Party is is great for people who really care about the environment, but, you know, I don't know about their policies and realistically what they want to do on all the other things. There, there, uh, there's certainly no uh, friend of working people or labor rights. Uh, so as much as uh, as Elizabeth May and the Greens are great on climate change and, and those issues, if you want to look beyond that, they are essentially, uh, you know, green conservatives. So as much as people want to play, place them as part of the progressive world and part of new Democrats versus Greens, from a practical policy perspective, that's not who they are and certainly not who they are under Elizabeth May. Okay. Uh, time just flies. Great having you all here. Thank you so much, Karen Stintz, Charles Bird, Kim Wright, and John Capobianco. Until next time, thanks so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Louis. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. 
Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.